You're listening to the She Lift Project podcast, a show dedicated to helping women achieve higher levels of success in the workplace. No matter where you are in your career, we want to help you grow. Now here's your host, Cynthia Kirkpatrick, a CPA, CFP, and Senior Financial Advisor at Mineta Group. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the She Lift Project podcast. I'm Cynthia Kirkpatrick, and thank you for joining us. We have a great guest for you today, my friend, Tara Kinney. She is the owner, CEO, and co-founder of Atomic Revenue, a company that helps small to medium-sized businesses grow faster by eliminating ineffective practices and streamlining lead generation, sales conversion, and customer advocacy. They've been incredibly successful helping their clients exceed growth goals, and in her roles, she has been an owner, key executive, fractional manager, strategic advisor, and building business development operations for 41 owner-operated small businesses and startups. She gets to see the best and worst practices in business, which has helped her business continue to grow. She, on top of that, is also a wife, mom of two girls, and if that's not enough, volleyball coach, dynamic speaker, board member, is there anything she doesn't do? She is one of my professional heroes, and I'm excited to have her here to share her wisdom with you all. So welcome, my friend Tara. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. A little bit overwhelmed by that introduction, so I'll have to live up to your expectations. <laughs> well, I think you already have, because clearly I'm just pulling all of the background that you have out there. Anything I could have potentially missed that we should include there. Oh, I hope not. That sounds like a lot already. <laughs> well, thanks again for being here. And really, I think the start of it is talking about where you're at today. You could probably give a better answer or story about Atomic Revenue. So what are you doing, both Atomic Revenue, all your other hats, um, and, and your roles in those areas? So at the core of everything I do is really problem solving and trying to help people have better outcomes. And that was really the founding principle of even the predecessor to Atomic Revenue, which rolled into Atomic Revenue. And what we do today is growing businesses, not just for the business to be bigger, better, more profitable, but so that everyone involved with the business has better outcomes. Every employee's job can be better. Then they can go home and have a better life with their family and be better contributors to the community and have time to volunteer for the things that they like to do. I love coaching volleyball because I feel like I'm investing in future female leaders. Um, and I hope that, you know, someday they feel like some of the lessons I've delivered as a coach help them in you know, personal and professional lives later. So, you know, whether we're leading businesses or leading our teams on the court, it's all about meeting people where they all are today and solving the problems to get them to where they need to be in the future. So you talked about atomic revenue, we'll get we won't skip over the volleyball piece, because yeah. I think coaching on so many levels is important, um, especially female players who can see female coaches, uh, see that model it all of that. But before we come back to that, you talked about the predecessor company and all of your background. You know, take me back to maybe think about a young Tara Kinney who's one of the girls that you coach and you're in high school thinking about uh, what does Tara want to do for in life uh, and how to make a difference. What was Tara Kinney thinking back then uh, as a teenager? 
It was funny. We recently had a question come up in one of our meetings that was recall one of the careers or professions that you wanted to have as a kid. And I couldn't pick between Queen of California or an archaeologist. And I think that as you're a young person figuring out who you are, there are things that you like, and it's hard to decide, do I like that because I want that to be my job and what I do all day, every day? Or is there another way to enjoy those things that's not live it, breathe it every day? Would you still like it? So discovering that my skills were not sitting by myself in silence, dusting bones and artifacts in the desert. You know what? I need to have a job that allows me to go travel and see those things. And so really that's when I started sorting out, what does it take to have the things that you really do enjoy and love in life? And what are the things you need to do now to have those things? And stripping away some of that emotion um, has really helped me. I stumbled into careers that no one taught in school. I didn't even know they really existed. Um, Starting from you know, managing an SBA grant program for small businesses and working with government uh, grants and fulfillment, and then working in engineering firms, managing marketing projects for major tollways and bridges. Um, One of the projects I worked on was the Gothels Bridge from Staten Island to New Jersey. So these are major iconic structures that people just take for granted as they drive their car across a waterway. And as I came up as a young person in my career, I really realized that there's so much more complexity and behind the scenes work that has to be cared for in order for the things that we see and appreciate to be real. And it's kind of like that quintessential iceberg moment where 90% of the iceberg is underwater and no one sees it, but the part you can see only exists because of what's behind it. And that's really what took me into operations and is still what's true in Atomic Revenue today, the the project management, all the little details that happen behind the scenes, all the different skill sets that are required to make things happen. And at the end of the day, people think, I have a good user experience, or that message really speaks to me. My buyer can now buy from us. But behind the scenes was 90% of the work that no one ever sees. And that's the most important part. And that's what I'm really passionate about is making sure that all of those pieces happen. Uh, yeah, I like your your comment about the queen and the archaeologist <laughs> and um, really diving into w- w- of those things, like what do you really enjoy versus the job and, and so forth. So I think we'll we'll definitely come back to that. But when you were in college, you mentioned stumbling into jobs or things that you didn't know were possible. You know, take me back to one of those times, one of those jobs. Were you uneasy about it? Were you nervous? Uh, how did you, what was it and how did you approach it? That's funny. I talk to a lot of people today about overcoming fear and things that make you hesitate and question whether or not you're heading in the right direction. And I feel like somehow I missed that (laughs) 
that part of human nature where you question and you put on the brakes and you evaluate. I've always been someone who's really confident in knowing that if I make a mistake, I can fix it. And so I tried on a lot of different things. I think I had four different internships when I was in college, and one of them was to be the public relations intern for this SBA grant program. And I just dove in feet first, started seeing problems, fixing things, and ended up becoming my boss's boss. And he reported to me. So I was 22 and became the director of the grant program. And the person who hired me into my internship then reported to me. Um, and that's pretty much how my career has always gone. Just curiosity. I want to say bull in a china shop, but I do want to tell you that the bulls never knock over the china. You can... <laughs> You can watch this experiment on YouTube, search for it. The bulls do not knock over the china, but there's a little bit of that charging through that I've never been afraid of the obstacles and I've always had a belief in myself that if I don't know the answer, I can figure it out. I can ask someone, I can do the research, I can try things, and if it doesn't go right the first time, I can fix it. So you mentioned some things, I think, confidence, if I can make a mistake, I can fix it, mindset things that I think many people struggle, whether it's young or old. What do you point to? Can you point to anything that looking back, you're like, that's what gave me the confidence. That's how I learned it. That's what triggered my confidence. I firmly believe that it was this gaudy pink plaque that was on my wall as a kid that said girls can do anything. And it was a girl doing a handstand. And somehow it ingrained in my head is that I can do anything, whatever I want. And uh, we have a joke in my house that if you want Tara to try harder, tell her she can't. <laughs> and that's pretty much how I've always been through life is if you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to find a way. Um, and that plaque as a kid, I wish I had it now. I want to give it to my daughters. Um, but I often talk in volleyball coaching that you know we can have these ideals that we can do anything. When you get out into the real world, it's not that you're not able to, it's that you have to find ways to make it happen because the world is full of obstacles that are trying to stop you from achieving those goals that you set out for. So we have to switch our mindset from being a dreamer to being a problem solver to get past all of those obstacles that life throws in your way. So the source, the pink plaque. And now I should probably wear caution tape. I'm just saying. <laughs> But the bull in the china shop doesn't knock down the china. Does not break the china, yes. So you mentioned your family, the plaque, um, and that your family knew if they wanted you to work harder or try something to tell you you couldn't. Explain your family dynamic. Mom, dad, siblings. No. So I have one sister, and she's two years younger than me. My dad is a forest ranger, and my mother is a school teacher. So I was the kid that 
helped my parents balance their checkbook at the end of every year. When we bought a Tandy TX-1000 when I was in middle school, I put it together and I set, set it up so they could do the things they needed to in DOS mode. And I would play King's Quest and Wheel of Fortune and really teaching myself some basic computer programming skills at a very young age, only because computers were new. It was something to figure out. And I was not afraid of breaking it. I just kept messing with it until it worked, you know, pushing buttons until it did what I wanted it to. <laughs> um, and so, you know, growing up, we lived on a farm, we had lots of animals, so lots of responsibility. We were always taught once you start something, you don't quit. And then you decide whether or not you want to keep doing it once that project is complete. So a lot of those principles are still part of my life. But I think one impact in general being a Gen Xer is that we facilitated the digital transformation for everyone around us. We started work before everybody had cell phones, and then we switched them to cell phones. We moved from Rolodex to LinkedIn. We set up the first computers, <laughs> you know, and so we've really been there to carry and facilitate a transformation of this is how we used to do it pre-digital to this is how we do it post-digital. And now millennials and Gen Z, they've all grown up in a total digital era, um, but they are missing part of the lessons, the why things are the way they are. Why was this software program set up the way that it is? And those are questions that you know, we always had to ask ourselves growing up. And I didn't have parents with a forest ranger and a English teacher uh, didn't have people who I could ask digital questions to. So I just had to figure out how technology worked and was lucky enough to have access to some resources to be able to do that. And I think that's really helped me in my career and helped me not be afraid because I didn't break that Tandy TX-1000. I had no idea what I was doing when I was 13 setting that machine up. I was like, well, I didn't break that one. Let's see what else I can tackle. <laughs> First of all, the Rolodex, I almost think uh, online and maybe if, when we do this video, we'll have to put a picture up of what a Rolodex is because yeah. a lot of people may not even know what that is anymore. So I find that funny. Thanks for, for yes. pulling that back into the story. But kind of summarizing what you just said, it sounds like a lot of your, your mindset and your skills were really formed when you were young by your parents encouraging you, but also not being in your way, letting you try things and and break things and don't quit and try something new and, and problem solving on your own so that now that's really what you do and what you enjoy. It all started, that foundation was when you were younger. Absolutely. And I hope I'm able to do the same for my kids, but we do have these conversations as well. I think all of us who are adults say, how did we survive? Like, how, seriously, how did we survive our parents? How did we survive no seatbelts? You know, how did we survive the things that now are entirely illegal? And um, you know, wonder how much of our strength came from surviving those things that now kids never face those same obstacles or never have those same risks in life. So 
Yeah, and it really sounds like a lot of that we can use both as mentors, leaders um, in our own careers. But I did want to circle back to you mentioned, and I thought this was an interesting story about how you were the intern, but then the person who hired you ended up reporting to you. And you, you said, I'm sure there's, I don't want to put words in your mouth, youth, potentially gender, potentially um, tenure in the role. How did that evolve? And, and did you have to fight through any issues, challenges, obstacles, emotions? What were you going through? Take me back to that. All of those were at play. Um, you know, a man who was 20 years older than me had a lot more life experience than me, but did not have the breadth of capability that I had. And I think that's really what it came down to was your leaders have breadth, your subject matter experts have depth. And so the leaders have to see so many aspects of what's happening and don't have to be great at any one of them, but have to be able to see that this issue is occurring and identify who do I need to talk to to solve that challenge? Who's the subject matter expert? And that's really how that transformation occurred. Um, it also relates to me just diving in and tackling things as they came up. So my job was public relations. Well, I can write some marketing and you know, copy and make it look good. But in reality, someone needed to go talk to people, someone needed to deliver the training, someone needed to learn how to write those policies that complied with government rules. And even today, that same breadth of capability is what I use all the time. I need to be able to navigate a legal contract and navigate a high level sales conversation and bring in subject matter experts because I don't know what the answer is, and I need to be able to communicate that in a way that everyone has confidence that even though Tara doesn't know the answer, she can bring in someone who can help us. I do want to add that uh, the experience that I had as a you know, young professional who became the supervisor for the person that hired me turned into a really important skill when I started working in the male-dominated engineering industry because my job was to facilitate proposal development on behalf of 50- and 60-year-old professional engineers who were billable. They were the reason why anybody wanted to do work with the company and they needed to meet my deadlines, my project management timelines. And it was my job to get all of them across the finish line, regardless of me being a 23, 24-year-old person in the marketing department. I needed to get all of them to write their structural engineering document, your environmental engineering document. And my job was to put it all together. If it was not on the loading dock at the DOT office by five o'clock, it didn't matter if you'd had 200 engineering hours into the document. You don't get considered for the job. So I learned a lot about managing people who were older than me and men <laughs> and really not taking any crap from anybody. <laughs> 
So all of that helped me then and still helps me now. I'm, I've got my first leadership team as a fractional executive that is a female leadership team. All of the rest of them, I have been the only woman on an all-male leadership team. So that's exciting as well for me as a new step in my career. I've never been in a leadership team that was all women. So I don't think it's necessarily that the times have changed. I think it's that I came up in male-dominated environments, and it's made me more confident about my capabilities, knowing that despite them believing that my credentials were not as solid as theirs, I was able to do things that they weren't able to do that allowed us as a company to succeed. And I figured out how to communicate that to them. Yeah, I wanted to lean into that. So, you know, whether it's that specific position, the other one, all the other companies, the things that you've done to start from start till now, were there traits or certain things that you said, okay, I'm going to get myself integrated, accepted. What are some of the things you did or traits that helped the transition, helped them to accept you? As you said, you were showing you're an expert in your area. How did that evolve? Well, one thing is that I never sought acceptance because people liked me. I've had a firm belief that if you don't like the way I look, you can just look the other way. I've never tried to impress people by doing favors or work that's outside of my area of expertise, and I've always stayed really true to that. And there's been some tough moments where, you know, people would drop off mail at my desk and ask me to mail it. And the next day they'd show up to the office and it would be on their chair with a note that says you dropped this in the wrong department. Because if I mailed it one time, then I would be expected to do those things forever. So I always had to stay true to myself and know that every time I say yes or no, I'm setting an expectation for the future of how people can treat me or what their expectations are of my contributions. Yeah, and that's a, I feel like that's a challenge for myself, but so many, and maybe especially women, right? You want to be helpful. You Maybe some people want to be a people pleaser, but you also teach others how to treat you. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and also there might be that judgment if a woman pushes back. So how do we learn that, teach that, stand by it? How did you? I think waiting tables, honestly, is like my high school job was really good training for that because people are always asking for ridiculous things. No, we don't do that. No, that's not my job. It's over there. You can go get it yourself, right? Um, But still being of service, still knowing that tips pay you at the end of the day. So really learning how to deliver bad news in a way that makes people grateful for how you handled the situation. And that turned into something that I've also carried with me through pretty much my whole career and even today is I want everyone to want to work with me again, despite how our relationship ended. And the 
uh, state of Missouri actually had me go in and do some trainings for their unemployed over 40 when I was under 30 because they wanted to show them that these are the people who are hiring and letting you go now and hear from them. And I would stand in front of this group of unemployed individuals, and it's going to sound really cold. And when I hear myself say it, it's cold. But when I let someone go from a job, it is helping them find an opportunity to succeed somewhere else. And sometimes we all need that little push. So you're not doing it in a cold way. You are helping them learn from and grow from what would otherwise be considered a negative experience. And when you do that, you can deliver bad news in a way that's appreciated. And so I've kind of honed a skill or an art in delivering news that people don't want to hear in a way that they'll thank me for it later. And I continue to work on that skill. That's a tough one. So is there like a, is there an ingredient list? Is there a process that you follow in every situation like that? Because I think we all come across that as whatever, leaders, a family member, whatnot, how to deliver something that uh, is bad news, but, you know, leave from it in a positive way. I think empathy is key really understanding the person that you're communicating with and what they're trying to achieve, and then being able to deliver the information that you have that's aligned to their goal. And that's truly, no matter how bad the news is, if you align the information to the outcome they're striving for, it's easier for them to move forward. And so whether it's contract negotiations or firing an employee or telling someone that you're not going to hire them, right? And they think I've been through all those conversations. It's been positive, And now you're telling me that it's not a fit. Most people would drop it at that. It's just not a fit. We went with someone else. Well, why is it not a fit? If you help them do better next time, then you're leaving them with a legacy that they'll remember you by. And so always trying to be of service to the person, regardless of the type of news or the type of ongoing relationship you're going to have with them, Just helping, helping people. <laughs> yeah, as you said that, it was like, that really seems to be a theme through a lot of what you've talked about. Well, not only that long list of achievements I've read at the beginning, <laughs> but all of your other uh, experiences through life is problem solving, helping, um, getting a good outcome, you know, and making sure that the things get taken care of and get done, but in a positive way. And so it seems to be one of your themes that that uh, maybe lessons learned or things that you've built yourself. Any other I don't want to, well, we'll circle back to it. But lessons learned in general what are some of the biggest ones either you've learned yourself have you had mentors help teach you these things um things you reflect on that maybe mistakes too where that's really helped you grow beyond where you would have one of the most influential managers that i had as a young professional really inspired me to say no more often 
And I think that's really important. More than when we say yes is what we say no to. That reserves our capacity and our ability to control where we spend our time and the impact that we make in the world. So definitely encourage people to set up their boundaries and know when to say no. Some of the other things that have really influenced me are time blocking and the ability to focus my energy and not be distracted by things around me. So if the problem at hand is I need to solve this dispute between these two people so that they can both move forward, I'm able to carve out a time when I'm prepared to handle the situation and I can really be mentally convinced that now is when I'm going to handle it. And it helps me not be afraid or feel unprepared for what would otherwise be a tough situation. So while I might call it bull in a china shop earlier in this podcast, the other part of it is just knowing what needs to happen and not being afraid to make it happen. The longer it drags on, the more pain it's going to be for you and everybody else. So don't be afraid to make the necessary happen at a time that works for you. So if we set up those expectations, we say no to the things that don't fit with what we want to do, and we're clear about our agenda being good intent and really helping people, then I think we can tackle so much more than we know we can, and we can be more confident about it as well. Yeah, those are really good things that you went through, I think, that are helpful in any relationship relationship situation. Um, and maybe to recap some of those, you mentioned, you know, ahead of time, kind of knowing when to say no, setting boundaries. But as part of that process, when you go into any relationship or contract or uh, working together, and correct me if I'm wrong, but one, it sounds like set expectations and have a clear agenda. Where would you go after that? Understand the perspective of the other people who are involved. If you understand their perspective, you can align your agenda with their needs. It will help everyone achieve a better outcome together. That sounds like that relates to the empathy when you talked about if you have to deliver bad news, you have to know really what their goals are, what excites them. And then you can empathize or see it from their side of this is really not what you want. You may not know it yet, but it's not what you want. So it sounds like those align quite a bit, understanding their perspective so that you can have empathy. And we focused on bad news. And that's only because I really do thrive in delivering bad news. I tell people all the time, if there's a, a challenging situation, just throw me in. I'll ask questions and I'll get to the bottom of it so that everybody can be successful moving forward. But the same is true when you're delivering positive news. A compliment can feel very shallow or not even hit as a confidence booster or it might not land as something that you should do this again because that worked out really well. And that goes to coaching as much as it does being a leader that it's not only delivering bad news, but when you're delivering good news, understanding what motivates the person that you're talking to and how can you frame that positive 
comment in a way that they understand how to use it going forward? How does it add value to their life beyond you giving them a compliment that they're going to forget in 10 minutes? So that's actually a great, I think it's what a lot of people struggle with. When you are in a new situation, how do you approach getting to know them, their goals, what makes them tick? So at some point down the road, good news or whatnot, you can deliver in the best way possible. Questions. And lots of times people who are really good at building relationships, they try to turn it around and learn more about me when I'm trying to learn about them. So there is an art to becoming the person who gets more information. Sometimes I feel a little bit like a spy. If you've seen those CIA movies, did you give them more information or did they give it to you? So it's really about being able to have a conversation and ask them questions that help them open up and know that your intent is to help them. Um, lots of times people share unimportant, not valuable information, and it's just what they tell everybody. So asking the next deeper level question is always important. And then basing the future conversation on their answers. So it's not a canned conversation that I've had with everybody. My conversation with you is unique to us sitting here today and this talk. I won't remember it later. So if I go talk to someone else, it's going to be a conversation that's entirely unique to them because I'm really focused on that person that I'm engaging with. And that helps me be confident in the situation, but it also helps me um, deliver any information that I have in a way that they can remember it and have meaning from it. Again, I, I already know this about you, but that's what I love is that you seem to have a different take or entree into experiences and conversations that is fascinating. Well, there are things you can control and things that you can't control. I can't control if there's a bear over there, if it's going to jump out and get me. So I'm not really going to worry about that. I'm only going to worry about whether or not I'm prepared if a bear jumps out, right? <laughs> and so I think that's true in all of my professional career as well. There are things within my control and those things I can focus my energy on. The things that are outside my control, I just need to know how to trust myself to respond to them when they come up. You can't plan for them. You don't know that they're coming. You just have to learn how to trust yourself that if it comes up, I'm going to do the best I can to handle it, but it's outside of my control. So I'm not going to worry about it too much. So it sounds like the feelings that most human beings have, you don't have. <laughs> I hear a lot of let go of control. You don't have fear. You're really confident. If I make a mistake, I'm going to fix it. Uh, you don't have anxiety because I can't control what's going to happen apart from the moment today. Um, I just find that fascinating and amazing. Well, thank you. I don't know how that happens or how it manifests itself. And sometimes until I say it out loud in a conversation like this, I don't know that it's true about myself. So I wonder that about other people too. Do they reveal things about themselves that they didn't know when they get to have open and honest conversations? Yeah. And like you said earlier, just, you know, every conversation is different, asking those deeper and deeper and deeper questions to really get to know somebody. Uh, that's where you get to know them. 
Um, you mentioned being really good at delivering news. So what's an instance or tell me a time when you, let's start with good news. You know, you had to deliver that, that great news. So when I'm delivering good news, I try to focus on what the person did that created the positive outcome, not the positive outcome. So in volleyball, it's not that you got a great hit and the other team couldn't return the ball. It's that approach and swing were perfect or that placement was excellent where you hit the ball. It's not just cheering for a good hit. And I think in work, it's the same thing. Um, not cheering because you sold a new contract and I'm not congratulating you on the contract. I'm congratulating you on all of the hard work and thoughtful problem solving that you did to provide a solution to that customer that met their needs. And therefore, they bought it from you. And so by focusing on the work that other people do that produces the positive outcome, I'm not celebrating the outcome, I'm celebrating the effort. It sounds like it comes back to one, specificity, so it's repeatable. And two, they know you really mean it mm -hmm. because you didn't come off with some rant, some generic, great job on getting that contract. Right. Um, so it circles back to, to what you said before, that kind of those... I don't remember what book it was from, but lead measures versus lag measures. The lag is the outcome. They hit that ball right. They got it over the net. The lead is everything up. How were your feet? How was the approach? How were your hands positioned? Um, did you call it? Yeah. That sort of thing. I never played volleyball, but just from watching. All those things are true. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you can coach me there. So is there really then that much of a difference or approach on the bad news side? Or are those steps kind of pretty similar. On the bad news side, we have to care for ego. On the good news side, you're already stroking ego. So ego is aligned with what you're saying. On the bad news side, we really have to care for someone's emotional state, which is still 90% of their decision making. So you might have a really logical reason for why something isn't working out and why you're going to change it. However, if someone's ego is at play, 90% of their response to your conversation is going to be that emotional response of you're taking away something that's important to me, or I made that decision and I'm trying to defend it now. How do other people view this situation with your perspective versus my perspective? So I really try to make it not about a person or a decision or about history and start with facts. And ideally, if you can ask the right questions, they will tell you that it's not working. And then you're able to move forward from there and say, okay, so we agree this is not working. Then where do you think you would be a better fit? What do you think would work better for you? And they'll describe what might be an ideal position like, oh, that's great. You know, I think this industry and, you know, that industry would be a great fit for someone who is looking for those kinds of things in a job. Let me see if I know anybody who knows you, who is hiring in those positions. 
and then I can refer you over there. But I think we're in agreement that this position's not a fit for you. Well, they just said it wasn't a fit. They just said that what, what they were looking for and what they considered ideal wasn't what we had. So if you can help them see the news that you want to deliver without you having to say it, you can bypass all of that emotion and ego, and then you're just helping them achieve their goal. So it what, sounds like probably a lot of questions. A lot of questions, yes. And I think when you're talking about performance issues, which is the hardest, and that's usually where my work at Atomic Revenue <laughs> resides around performance, it's best if you can have quantifiable information. So if you have numbers and you're able to ask, I see that the conversion rate has dropped by 34% this year versus last year. Can you tell me what has happened that caused that change? They're able to answer the question or not answer the question either one of those reveals the next step in the approach, right? Mm -hmm. And so if they can answer the question, then we go into, so, you know, how are you resolving this? What are your ideas about fixing it? And if they're not able to come up with ideas to fix it, you know, they're not a fit. Um, if they don't know what caused it, then they probably weren't a fit with the position to begin with. So either way, no matter what their answers are, you're just trying to help everybody get to the agreed upon outcome, which is usually a middle ground. You know, everyone is always preparing for the worst. <laughs> there are these two scenarios that are terrible. There's the really, really good, terrible, or the really, really bad, terrible, right? But there's a whole lot of middle ground to compromise within. And I think too many people focus on the worst case scenario. It's good to know that it exists, but it's better to know that there is a whole lot of better case scenarios that we can achieve together versus any of those worst case scenarios that we think of. So I think the positive... Outlook is also important when you're approaching these situations where you're delivering bad news is the belief that going into this conversation, we are going to find a solution that is beneficial and agreed upon by all parties. And you say that belief, is that something that you state or is that something you need to build up over time with your relationship with them, where as a leader, you've built okay, Tara cares about me. I know at the end of the day, whatever happens, I know Tara cares. I don't know if it's a personality trait, like glass half full versus glass half empty. You know, if you're optimistic that you're going to be able to find a positive solution and then you work towards that, or if you go into a conversation believing that any outcome here is going to be negative and then you fulfill that destiny with how you approach the conversation. <laughs> so I really do try to go into all conversations believing that all of us here have the best of intent to find a solution that works for all parties involved. And I believe that we can do that. If I came into that conversation 
believing that they're failing at their job. We're on a sinking ship because of them. There is no positive outcome here. There's no way we're going to leave this room without somebody yelling at somebody else. That might be the destiny that gets fulfilled in the conversation. So I don't know how much of that is personality of optimism versus pessimism or how much of it is what I've learned as a professional and what I try to teach as a leader in that if you want a positive outcome from a situation, you need to go into the opportunity believing that a positive outcome is possible. If you don't believe it, how are you going to make it real? Mm -hmm. I like you did a couple of things there, gave some really great examples of how to, you know, really try to go with the facts and start there, ask questions, ask questions. They'll eventually lead you to the next question and or the decision of, yeah, this isn't right. And I loved what you said there too about it's mindset, right? What you're manifesting. So you're, you're, what you're thinking and your body language can often manifest the outcome, whether you realize it or not. Um, really helpful tips I think you shared for everybody, <laughs> as I knew well, you would. Well, thank you. And I appreciate getting to have this conversation. It's always so fun to talk about things that you don't think about, like the pink plaque on the wall. Like, haven't thought about that in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Dusting off the cobwebs inside right. There. right. So we talked kind of about your trajectory, the different jobs that you've had. We've mentioned some lessons, some mentors, um, also maybe some obstacles. Anything we've, we've missed there on those fronts, mentors, obstacles, mistakes, things that, that really uh, have helped mold you as you are today? I think it's important to always know what your greatest weaknesses are. It helps you avoid the pitfalls that you can create for yourself. And often your greatest strength is your greatest weakness. And that is true for me. Optimism and belief that I can do it will bite me in the butt um, on other days because I will believe that I can get more done than is humanly possible, right? And I believe that I can achieve positive outcomes in situations that may not have a positive outcome, right? And so I think um, we just need to know that sometimes those strengths can be weaknesses and not to be disappointed when things don't work out the way that we thought they should or would despite our best efforts. And then really being able to set those boundaries and expectations for ourselves. I know my tendency is X. So I'm going to gut check that X isn't coming up too often. Am I over relying on my optimism in these conversations? So I think that that is important. And I'm too many times people focus on strengths and then weaknesses being entirely different set of skills or capabilities. I really do see my strengths as being my weaknesses. And I think in a lot of 
cases, if we are really honest with ourselves, we can see that line where we've crossed it. That strength is no longer a strength, that it is now our greatest enemy. No, I like what you said there, because I think I struggle with that too. Um, I think sometimes some of my strengths in certain moments, great, and other moments, it annoys others. Uh, we'll laugh with my husband because he'll be like, what do you want to eat tonight? Where do you want to go? And most of the time, I'm so flexible and relaxed that if I really care, I'll tell you. But I know sometimes that frustrates the heck out of him. Um, and vice versa, he's so hilarious. And I love that he's so hilarious. But sometimes I just need him to be serious for a second. So I, I do agree that the things we love about ourselves or others are often the things that will, in the wrong situation, uh, cause maybe the most friction. And so I like what you said there is kind of acknowledging that and trying to do that gut check and, and check yourself and make sure you're not crossing that that line. Well, you just hit on a really important point there that we need to be brave enough to collaborate with people who view the world totally different than we do. Because it is both of those perspectives together that one person's strengths offset someone else's weaknesses or one person's positive view on the world combined with someone else's negative view on that same situation would come up with the best solution for everybody. Too many times we spend all our time with people who are like us or agree with us. <laughs> and that's fine and fun. But in many cases, the people who stick around that you spend the most time with, we find out are really quite different from ourselves and that value is in how we come together and help each other through challenges so the same way you said that your husband is opposite of you in many ways my husband is a glass half empty guy and i'm a glass half full girl so you know it's the same thing we find that middle ground and if i think about my colleagues or the coaches that I do really well coaching a team with, they see things entirely different than the way that I see things. And together, we can create great outcomes for teams. Um, I think what you said there, I like that because in the short run, I think life is easy if you have people around you that are like you. But in the long run, it makes it more challenging because how do you grow beyond where you're at at the moment. Uh, so short run, less pain, easy. Long run though, I think we're missing out. But you mentioned here about building a team of people who are different, who can fill holes. How do you do that? One big step to building a good team is being honest in identifying what you need. Lots of times we'll fill a team with a warm body who can kind of do some of the things we need and we expect people to change or learn new things or in some cases become a different person to fulfill our expectation. Well, all of that is unrealistic. So if we're really honest about the gaps that we need to fill and where our strengths need a counterbalance with someone else, we can identify the person that would be a good fit for us. You know, I have one of my business partners who in stressful situations overanalyzes things. I call it overanalysis, like cannot make a decision, just wants more information, more information, more information. 
I am the opposite. In a stressful situation, I'm quick to be like, all right, so I heard boom, boom, boom. Therefore, we are doing A. Well, I need some more information. Like, I just want to move forward from this situation. So there's a middle ground there between the two of us that is the right answer. You can't get into analysis paralysis and never make a decision. But you do need to make sure you have all the information to make a good decision. So being too much of a quick start or too much of an analyzer will hold back your entire team. So picking a leadership team as an example where you have those types of counterbalances is really important. And I do think that we focus too often on skills and not on the complementary personality types. So I used to hate assessments. I thought they were completely hokey. I was like, that's what corporate does to decide which cubicle you're going to sit in for the rest of your life, right? (laughs) But uh, now that I've had more experience with those, I see how they help us learn how to communicate better with each other. Because that personality type and my personality type could have conflict, unless we understand this about each other, in which case, we're stronger together. And as leaders, we often have to think about the impact of who we are and how we approach things on our team members and whether or not that's helping them or hindering their success. So many times leaders have gotten to where they are because of their own success, but can you help other people succeed? Because to succeed as a leader, everyone else has to be successful. Um, So it's a change in role that many leaders struggle to transition from my position being based on my success to my success being based on the success of others. And you mentioned several times today, middle ground. So whether it's, you know, finding others that are different from you so that it can pull you from the far side that you're on, um, whether it's, you know, asking questions and difficult conversations, finding that middle ground seems to be that might be a focus when you're building teams, when you become that leader. Now get out of this, the lane that made you successful and maybe shift over a bit and find that middle ground. You talked earlier about kind of the transition in your career experiences, how often early on you would come into leadership groups where they would be male, either all male or definitely male dominated, and now recently having one that was all female. Um, Tell me more about heading into those male-centric circles and and coming in, how'd you navigate that? What feelings, emotions, if anything, thoughts through your head did you have? Because I've always worked in male-dominated industries of engineering and technology, I don't have any issue being the only female in an all-male room. I uh, will make my voice heard. I won't let people walk on my ideas. I will make them justify their ideas with all the confidence in the world. Um, As a matter of fact, one time I dropped the line of, 
I'm really glad you called me a bitch. I consider that a compliment because you are respecting that I am behaving the same way a man would in this situation and you are admitting that you're not able to handle it. And we are really great friends now. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times those situations come up where I don't think anyone intends to make it personal or to engage with people differently based on gender, but we all do it. And so being able to be willing to walk away and to not take, you know, a hard time from someone else or to not be intimidated by other people is definitely a learned skill from working in all male dominated industries. And I will say that when I'm with other women, with other female leaders, I'm more intimidated. I'm more concerned about whether or not I'm wearing the right thing, whether or not they're understanding my position. Am I communicating with them clearly just because it's different? That being said, I'm finding being on the all-female leadership team is no different than the all-male leadership team. There are times we have to have tough conversations and sort through those. And there are times that we are on a collaboration storm to solve problems that benefit dozens of people. So while I was intimidated to take a leadership position on an all-female team, it's turned out that, you know, it's not really any different. And I'm wondering how much of that is in everybody's head. I'm afraid to enter this new situation because I've not been there before. Therefore, my performance is diminished based on my own lack of confidence and fear in approaching the situation. When in reality, if we take a step back, maybe it's not different at all. So it's 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 interesting to hear you say that. I was not expecting you to say that at all uh, because of what we talked about before where you're like, I'm confident, uh, I'll problem solve, I'll fix it, I'll call people out, I have my boundaries. But then you got to, I'm going to be in a room full of women and where you said you had no fear before, you're actually a little bit nervous. Mm -hmm. Just a change of environment. Um, it's really fascinating how the people around us impact us. And you try to be true to yourself and be confident in who you are and be aware of all the people who are part of solving a problem or getting something done. But if we look back on so many situations, we can see how solving the same problem or doing the same project with two different groups of people changed how we behave and respond in the situation. Um, and I find myself being a little bit of a chameleon in that way that if this group is struggling to get things done, I am really pushy. And I will just pull out all the tenacity and push something to the finish line and not let people drag their feet. Other people that are really ambitious, I find myself being the person that is asking questions and kind of slowing down the progress and making sure that we addressed all of the pieces behind the scenes that need to happen. And I'm always curious if that's something that is learned or again, is that 
a natural personality trait? Are you flexible and able to bend to a situation? Or do you learn to do that over time? I don't have a good answer. <laughs> I'm confident that I don't have the answers to questions. <laughs> well, that's where you said you'll figure it out. You'll research, you'll find it out. Yep. So, so in that part of the discussion, you mentioned maybe having to talk about it more, having to, as I've put it, retrain sometimes our thinking, that approach from being with a, uh, groups of men to women, and is it all in our head, I think is what you said. Want to expand upon that at all? Or what do you think? Or how do you think if it is an issue? How do we overcome it together? So I do think there is a lot that lives in our heads that impacts how we approach situations. And if we can get out of our heads and be more objective about the people, the timeline, the expectations, the goals, and really approach it as I'm a neutral party in this situation who's really just trying to create a positive outcome for everyone involved. We can strip away some of those emotions that might create fear or anxiety in a situation that we're not familiar with because we're really just down to brass tacks. Yeah, these are the players. This is the timeline. This is the expectations. This is the objective. Now, how are we going to do it? Um, and that always helps me be more confident in a situation versus all of the emotions and change, new situation, new environment that could cause anxiety. Just get rid of all of that. I can't change any of that. The only things I can control is whether or not we as a group are going to achieve a positive outcome together. Yeah, and it may be less anymore, male, female, uh, versus just people in general worry in our heads, uh, tell a story before we get there. And so, again, a lot of what you talked about is I don't know the outcome yet. I don't know how this is going to go. So I'm going to go in neutral, ask a lot of questions, and know that at the end of the day, we all want positivity from it. I do retrain myself with 15-year-old girls every day at volleyball practice. Um it helps me realize that logic and reasoning <laughs> don't always work to achieve a shared positive outcome. And so it helps me retrain myself to handle emotions and ego and some of the things that as business professionals, we think don't exist because we're logically trying to accomplish a business goal. I realize every day working with 15-year-olds that you know, we need to be able to care for that emotional side of our being in order to motivate everybody to work towards that common outcome. The same words said to two different people will have two entirely different outcomes based on the mindset that they're in and their personality and their role in what we're trying to achieve. So I think that that's really important um, for all of us to remember is even as adults, we're emotionally fragile. So we need to care for that in how we communicate with each other. Yeah, we're, you're, you're teaching them, they're teaching you. Yes. Every situation sounds like no matter who's involved, we can learn something. 
along with hopefully help others. So a lot of, of conversation uh, today, a lot of good tips and things that you've shared, specifics and, and general mindset. But let's circle back to where you are and what's on tap, what's next for Tara. If people want to, you know, who are you looking to meet? Who are you looking to help? If they want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? So we really like to work with small to mid-sized companies that are looking for their next stage of growth. We like those types of businesses because they can move fast, they can make quick decisions, there's not a lot of bureaucracy, and therefore we're able to make change. And it's really about being strategical. People compare us with tactical companies that come in and do stuff. And people compare us with strategy companies that come in and give you a 90-page document that collects dust on the shelf. And really, Atomic Revenue has always been about the in-between. You need to have a strategy, but you also need to get things done. And working with those small to mid-sized companies that share that belief that we want to move forward. We don't want to get caught up in the bureaucracy and not change. We know we need to change in order to move forward. We know we need help and we appreciate an objective outside different opinion. Uh, the, that's a great fit for Atomic Revenue because while we are helping other companies change, you know, what got them to where they are today isn't what's going to take them forward from there. At the same time, we're part of that company. You know, we take it personal. That's our work. Whether or not they succeed is is our legacy. So we really want to work with companies that embrace that challenge, adopt us as part of their team for the period of time that we are moving the company forward. And eventually we would like to exit out and have the company grow past needing us. But for the time being, we're on the same team on the same mission. And I think that that is a different approach than how a lot of companies work with vendors today. Yeah, that service, you said delivering on service and that middle ground, you're not one or the other, you're doing both your strategy and the tactical marrying it and making things happen mm -hmm. for them. But with the idea that it's all to make them better. And really making it easy, just trying to be really flexible. So many times you get a 12-month contract or a 24-month contract. My crystal ball does not see out that far. So I might know what we're going to do for the next two quarters. And then what happens after that will be determined based on the outcomes of these two quarters. So while I fully anticipate that Atomic Revenue will continue to work with clients for 18 or 24 months, I'm not going to try to predict what that future is going to look like because we are going to work hard together for the next two quarters. And then we're going to prioritize what needs to happen at that point. So I think that that is difficult for a lot of people because they'd like to say, well, then what? So in six months, where will we be? Sorry, the magic eight ball doesn't give us that answer. <laughs> it says roll again. <laughs> you know? I like that. It's a true partnership and you truly care about what they're going to accomplish. And you're not trying to fit it all in a box and say, okay, well, we said 12 months and that's it. We're done. 
it's truly with the idea and effort to help them and see them grow and achieve their goals. And caring for all the dynamics, you know, we can't control economics or market climates or supply chain or the labor market. There's so many dynamics at play. I would never want to encourage anyone on our team to set expectations with a client that we're able to control their destiny. There's too many things outside our control. These are the things we can control. These are the things we can influence. We will do our best to influence those things. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of what we talked about today. So if they want to find you, AtomicRevenue.com, uh, they can find you on the web, LinkedIn, reach out to you that way. Also, you do speaking. You have your own TaraKinney.com website out there. They can find you that way. Yes. They're... We'll just say... I don't hide very well. <laughs> you can find me anywhere, whether it is on the school district website where I'm a volleyball coach or, uh, you know, TaraKinney.com, which is my speaking site. Um, AtomicRevenue.com is the easiest way to get a hold of me. And LinkedIn is my go-to. But of course, there are many other social media platforms and places where people can find me. Um, but I mostly encourage people to find others at my company. Because while I may be the founder, I'm not the expert in a lot of things that people bring to my attention. So I'm always tagging in someone else from the Atomic Revenue team. While I'm happy to help people find that right person to talk to, just go to the Atomic Revenue website and go to the About Us page and pick out the person who can solve the challenge that you have as a company? Is it a technology issue? Is it a people issue? There's someone listed on that page that's a good fit for you. And I don't want to steal their thunder or be the middle, the middle person that's trying to translate between you and the person that you need. So at Atomic Revenue, it's really about having resources available to people and making it efficient for them to access those resources. So everyone's contact information is also on there. That's great to know and share. And as you mentioned several times, different things, bringing others in that complement your expertise. So why not? As a leader, you're brave enough to say, you don't have to come to me, go to them. So one last final question before we leave. Um, my own journey and, and something i almost ashamed to say I've learned within maybe the last two years is as a, a woman in a career, a mom, all of that, a person, um, finding myself, who I am, right? Uh, I hear a lot from others out there who women should or shouldn't be or who I've thought I should and shouldn't be. But I found it comes back to my core values, that when I can define and live by my core values, I lead a much happier, complete and fulfilled life. So if you were to think about Tara and, and what drives you and, and your core values? How do you set boundaries? How do you um, build relationships? Where do you stick and, and feel passionate and great? What are those? That's a really good question. Um, so Tara doesn't like boundaries. <laughs> Tara would prefer to keep all options open and I think that's probably one of my core values is don't let yourself get boxed in or trapped to where you have no choice in how you're going to navigate a situation, which means I need to have time. I can't be overbooked. I need to have a plan. 
because then I can change the plan. If I'm flying by the seat of my pants, who knows what's going to happen, right? <laughs> so very much a planner, very much keeping all my options open, making sure that I have time for the people who are most important to me. And that's where not being over committed, which is difficult. You read off the list of all the things that I'm doing and I'm pretty much consistently carrying a pretty full plate, but making sure that I'm always able to focus time and energy on the people that are most important. So they get a block of time on my calendar as well. So I've got family time blocked out, no phone time blocked out, and you know, really making sure that during the little bit of time that I have with my kids before they move out, that I maximize the time I get to spend with them. So I've got my last year of elementary school this year and my first year of high school. So in eight years, I mean, if all goes as planned and I still don't have a basement for them to move into, then <laughs> they will be out doing their own thing. And I'm going to not be able to get this opportunity back to spend time with them. So despite all of the things on my plate, just remembering that... I don't ever want to look back on life and regret how I chose to spend my time. I can always make more money. I can always learn more about myself, do more professional development. I can go to more school. I can't get time back. So where I put it is important. <laughs> yeah, well said. I mean, and that's why, again, I look up to you for all you've accomplished and the things you shared today, whether it's, you know, for women um, in a career or looking to start a career or challenges or, or men too, you've shared so many good tips, um, whether you want to be a leader or whatnot, that it's, I can't even recap it all. So <laughs> with all you have today, thank you for blocking this time. I appreciate it. I know you have so many more things to get to. Volleyball coaching is definitely one. So um, again, appreciate getting to watch you do what you do, succeed, getting to learn from you, soak it in, and for you spending the time and sharing uh, this news and information that we can spread out into the world. Well, thank you. I appreciated being invited to your show today. So thank you. This concludes another episode of the She Lift Project podcast. To hear more episodes of the show, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more about our mission of helping women reach higher levels of success, visit sheliftproject.com and sign up to receive the latest news, ebooks, videos, and more.